Our reading comes from John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we're just going to read three verses from 15 to 18. This is referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the prayer he prays just before he's about to die and leave this world. And when Jesus prays, in his prayer he says, I'm I'm not just praying for my disciples, but I'm praying for all those that are far off that will believe in this word. In essence, Jesus was including you in this prayer. Now listen to what Jesus is praying over your life. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You know, reading this portion of scripture was a challenge for me as an early Christian. Because when I came to faith, I thought that the whole idea of being a Christian was to try and see how far you can get out of the world. I thought that the whole idea was that we should have the sense of, of coming out of the world, being apart from the world, not being engaged in the world. And then I read this prayer of Jesus where the challenge is that we should be in the world. Actually, one of my favorite scriptures, text in the Bible was, I am not of this world. Then I discovered that this particular text, we are not of this world, is in a particular context. Do not take them out of the world. You that are not of the world, your engagement, your mission is to be in the world. I I struggled and grappled with this until one day I got a revelation. And I got this revelation when I was trying to set my dog free from fleas. So I share with Liberty today the parable of the fleas. My dog had fleas and I decided I was going to start at the tail end and I was going to work through the hair of the dog, trying to find every flea and set my dog free from fleas. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but it's a pretty challenging exercise. 
As I was busy doing this, a friend of mine arrived, asked me what I was doing, and I explained to him my project. And he looked at me and said, Alan, why don't you just go and buy a flea collar at the store? I thought, well, there's an idea I hadn't thought about. So I went to the store, got the flea collar, put it around the neck of the dog. And within three days, all the fleas are gone. I'm amazed. I'm intrigued. I'm trying to figure out how does this work? I mean, how did the fleas at the tail end know there is now a flea collar around the neck of the dog? I mean, how did they know it was a flea collar? I did not explain it to them. I had the instructions with me. Somehow the fleas knew it's time to get off. So I went back to my friend and I said, would you explain to me how this works? He says, it's actually pretty simple. He says, on this flea collar, there is a powder. And when the dog moves, the hair brushes against the collar. The powder is released. It sits on the skin of the dog. It's then assimilated through the skin into the bloodstream of the dog. And it builds up an immunity within the bloodstream. And now as the blood circulates through the dog, when the flea at the tail end now bites the the dog the flea dies and the dog lives and I said hallelujah I now understand John 17 because <laughs> this was in essence what Jesus was praying right father I do not pray that you take them out of the flea nest of this world Put them right in between the fleas. It's a new translation, okay? <laughs> but do something to them. Sanctify them by your truth. Let truth so empower their lives. Let truth so capture who they are that when they enter into this world, they will not be affected by the world, but they will affect their world. Wow. Well, every time I want you to clap, I'm just going to look in that direction and I know somebody's going to pull it through for us. L listen, this is worth clapping for because once you understand this principle, this is the power of truth. Truth can so arrest your life that it can posture you in such a way that you can enter into a damaged, broken, sinful world and not be intimidated or infatuated, but enter into that space as someone that represents the light and the life of Christ. So amazing when we think about the life of Jesus Christ, how attractive he was to people, to, to very bad sinners, although he was the most holy man who ever lived on the planet. When John 
writes about Jesus, he gets to verse four of John one and he says, in him was life. And the life was the light to this world. You see, there's something about truth Something about this truth that, that empowers us to become instruments of light, of grace to a world. So the question is, what is this truth? What is this truth that can so affect a human life that can empower you to engage in this world in an effective way? And we recognize that this truth is found in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's this discovery of our lives associated with Christ that we discover who we truly are. You know, since coming to the USA, I've discovered that you are a pretty sport-crazy people. And I've been taken to some of the sporting events and not understanding too much about the rules of the games, I've been watching the fans. And it's very interesting for me to see how the fans react and respond when their team has won. Something happens to them, suddenly they get an attitude. It's like they don't walk, they move. And if you ask them who won, they would answer, we won. Say, so, what do you mean we won? You did nothing, man. So, hey, no, when the team wins, I win. Isn't it amazing that a recorded victory suddenly has a bearing on a human's life in terms of how he thinks, how he feels, how he engages, how he speaks, how he relates to people. Something happens to him because of that recorded victory. He somehow sees himself identified, associated, connected to that recorded victory. Folks, 2,000 years ago, go the greatest victory for humanity was recorded never to be challenged again never to be challenged again and here is the amazing thing you are included in that reference and it's the discovery of that inclusion that's what we call faith it's the response to this revelation, to the seeing, to this knowing that that victory has a bearing on my life. And I identify with that victory because the Bible says very clearly that, that when Christ died, I died with him. I died and was buried with Christ. 
such a powerful statement, such a powerful truth, because what does that mean? It means that I died for my old inferior life in Adam. And that this life that was subjected to the influence of the power of sin was effectively dealt with on the cross. When Jesus Christ died and said it is finished, he had dealt with the oppression of sin over our lives. And the Bible is clear that we no longer have to bow our knees to sin because the power of sin has forever been broken over our lives. We died. That's what Romans chapter 8 verse 2 teaches us. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. See, when the Bible speaks about a law here, it's speaking about an authority. The authority of the spirit of life in Christ set me free from the authority of sin and death. But not only did I die with Christ, the Bible is very clear. It says that we were raised with Christ into newness of life, into resurrection life, into the Christ life. We have a new identity. No longer does Adam define who we are. Jesus Christ is now the reference of our true identity and we understand who we are as we discover who he is. We were raised with him into newness of life. You are a new creature in Christ. You see, once you understand that, once you understand who you truly are, it changes how you live because identity precedes activity. The way you perceive yourself will determine how you engage. You see, it's this truth that empowers us to engage in this world. Not only were we raised with Christ, the Bible teaches us that we share in his triumph and that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? It means a place of authority. It means a place of influence, a place where we could actually lean in and affect and change our world. You see, truth is not just there to get us into heaven. Truth is so designed that when you discover it, it empowers you to live an effective life here on earth. You see, this world really needs us. South Florida really needs us. Fort Lauderdale really needs us. And we've been empowered with truth that we can engage this damaged, broken world. But you see, many times we are like the people of Jerusalem. Oh, they so loved Jerusalem. Jerusalem was 
Jerusalem, the city of peace. Shalom is this reference of wholeness, completeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, this fullness of God idea. And they loved Jerusalem. They despised another city called Babylon. Because Babylon was the anti-type of Jerusalem. Actually, from Genesis right through to Revelation, about 450 times in the Bible, Babylon is the anti-type of Jerusalem. The Jews despised Babylon. Actually, if a Jew wanted to insult you, he would say, man, go to Babylon. And then the unthinkable happens. The Babylonians come and they conquer Jerusalem and they break down the walls and they break down the temple and they take these Jewish people all the way as exiles to Babylon. And while they're in Babylon sitting there at the river, the Bible says they hung up their harps on the willows. And the Babylonians come to them and say, hey, would you sing us a song? We hear you guys sing such beautiful songs. And then they say, by the rivers of Babylon, how can we sing a song in a strange land? How can we exercise our spirituality? How can we live out this which is pure and so, so precious to us? How can we give expression to that here in Babylon? We have to go back to Jerusalem. And it's in that context that God speaks to them. They're just wanting to get out of Babylon when the word of the prophet Jeremiah comes to them and God speaks in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 and we've often quoted this verse I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace thoughts of shalom and not of evil to give you a future and a hope God is saying this to them while they are in Babylon. But it must have been verse 7 that really rocked their world. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think or seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Babylon. You know, I, I come from Pretoria, South Africa. It's kind of like the buckle of the Bible belt in a very Christian nation. Coming here to Florida, man, I feel I'm in Babylon. You know what? God loves Babylon. That's why he sent the people of Jerusalem, the purveyors of Shalom, he sent them to go to Babylon. Because how else will he get his Shalom into Babylon if he does not have agents that will take up this responsibility and say, I'll be a carrier of the Shalom of God into Babylon. That's your calling. That's what God's purpose is for us that have discovered him. You know, when we started grappling with this concept of engaging the world, we were deeply challenged by the difference between the disciples and Jesus in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Because it was very clear the disciples 
were aware of the problem and they had concern. And their concern immediately was, was so overwhelmed by the fact that they felt, what can we do? We don't have the resources. And the way they wanted to address the problem was, let's send it away. So they tell Jesus, could we send the people away because they are hungry? But the Bible says Jesus had compassion. And he says, we're going to give them something to eat. And somehow we identified ourselves in the disciples. We recognized that we were a very concerned institution. We were concerned about so many things, but we were not getting engaged because we didn't think we could make a difference. But compassion gets engaged in the belief that if we start getting engaged, God will provide. And so we started asking this question, how can we move this distance between concern to compassion? Well, Jesus takes the disciples on the journey and he, he first of all gives them a, a bit of a strategy because he says, go and break up this group into, into, into smaller groups of 50s and 100s. Must have been pretty challenging for them not knowing exactly what was going to happen because they had no guarantee they're breaking up this group in fifties and hundreds. And then Jesus takes the bread and the fish and we see how he blesses it and then he breaks it. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't break the bread and build a whole reserve so that the disciples can feel really secure. You know, at least now reserve matches need. He doesn't. He breaks the bread and the fish and he puts it in the hands of the disciples. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, go feed the people. Now I can just see the disciples. And you feel the tension of that moment? But it was Jesus that said it, so might as well go do it. I see how he walks down to a group of 100 and then decides, no, let's rather start with a group of 50. I see that disciple breaking that first piece. I guarantee you, the first piece was a small piece. Why? He's a smart disciple. This stuff's got to last. I mean, can you imagine the first guy that got the first piece? So this is it, huh? You guys went to all this trouble for this. I, I, I mean, I just see that moment. like, You know, and I see him breaking another piece. I see him breaking another piece. And as he's breaking the pieces... There's the sense something is happening. And I see how he tests it, just breaking a bigger piece. And then take another big piece. And another big... Hey, hey, 
Help yourselves. That's literally what I think happened because the Bible says they picked up 12 baskets full. They had so much. Here's the principle. With this I close. God has called us as the carriers of truth because he wants us to engage a broken Babylonian environment so that we can step into that not with a grand plan not with some massive scheme and strategy process but with this understanding if every disciple just asked what is the next step what is the small piece I can break and I leave you with this challenge just start breaking the pieces. May God's grace be upon you, upon this ministry, as you do great things for God in this community.